If you're in your own business, you're a sole proprietorship, like an Uber driver or a DoorDash delivery person, the government's going to give you sick leave if you took time off due to COVID. So if you had to care for somebody, this is something that very few people know about. This is Can Do, a podcast that explores the essential lessons for business success. As the world continues to feel the effect of the coronavirus, uncertainty and unpredictability have become the status quo. It has never been more important to learn from entrepreneurs and industry experts about their experiences and to hear their advice. Whether you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or your career is affected by the current economic climate, lessons shared by our guests can help you make informed decisions about your future. I'm your host, Arnie Sherman. The dreaded tax filing season is once again upon us. This generally brings up important questions for individuals and businesses alike. What if you owe money to the IRS? What happens if you get audited? What things are deductible? How do you account for COVID-related government payments? To address these queries and much more, we are joined today on CanDo by attorney and accounting expert E. Martin Davidoff. Marty is a partner in the 700-person global accounting and consulting firm Prager Metis. Over his 40-year career, Marty has specialized in IRS and state tax controversy resolution. He also works extensively with business startups, providing tax planning advice for companies and employees alike. He has been recognized by Accounting Today as one of the 100 most influential people in accounting. Marty holds a BS degree from MIT, an MBA from Boston University, and a law degree from the Washington University School of Law. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, dedicated to investing in people to improve the quality of their lives. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. Welcome to the show today, Martin Davidoff. We're here to discuss everything tax related. So where are you joining me from today? I'm sitting here in Heightstown, New Jersey, halfway between New York City and Philadelphia. That's terrific, Marty. Share with our listeners a little about your background. Well, I'm a, an attorney and a CPA. I uh, head up the controversy department along with my partner, Robin Caruso, with Prager Metis, and Prager Metis is a firm of 700 uh, people. We have 23 offices throughout the world. Uh, I, I work out of their Cranberry, New Jersey office as, as uh, 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 in, normally. Today I'm broadcasting from home, and I'm also an attorney and have a law firm. And basically what I do is I do taxes. I'm a graduate of MIT, uh, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, where I majored in management, uh, Boston University, Washington University School of Law. Uh, so I've been around for a while. You've been around for a while, and you've also worked in many other places, including Montana. You've done some work in Montana also. Well, I've done work in Montana for my clients. In Montana. Yes. Yes, I've done work in Montana. Uh, basically, I've, I've uh, 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 had my own practice for 38 years before merging with uh, Prager Metis. So first off, no one likes to pay taxes. Certainly they don't like to pay more taxes than they're legally required to pay. So when you approach a client, what's, what's your mindset as, as you start working with them? 
Well, you know, first of all, you know, it's interesting to say you don't like to pay taxes. You know, my my uh, goal in life is to is to have to pay a million dollars a year in taxes. Uh, that would be good because that'd be make me, meaning I'm making two to three million dollars a year. So that would be a nice goal to have for many people. Uh, but you know, the first thing when when you know when I'm seeing a client, they're usually in distress. They're coming forward to me and they're saying, "I owe taxes to the IRS. What do I do?" Or I'm being ordered by the IRS. What do they do? In terms of tax planning, what I look to do is maximize after-tax cash flow. All right. What do we need to do to you know sometimes minimizing taxes can help you hurt you financially, but most of the time we find ways in order to protect your, maximize your after-tax cash flow. That's the, the goal I have with my tax planning and tax compliance clients. Uh, I have two parts of my practice that, and the major part is really representing people who are in trouble with the IRS. So the tax due date this year is April 18th. Yeah, normally it would be April 15th, which is on a Friday, but it's very interesting. In, in, the law says if it's a holiday in Washington, D.C., then it, it goes to the, the next day. Well, the next day is Saturday the 16th and then Sunday the 17th. The 15th is something called Emancipation Day, and that celebrates April 16th to 1862 when President Lincoln signed a, a, an Emancipation Act that freed the 3,000 slaves just in the District of Columbia. And... Uh, and because April 16th falls on a Saturday, the holiday is officially on the 15th, and then the entire country ends up on the 18th. Of course, if you live in Massachusetts and Maine, the 18th is Patriots Day, you get to the 19th. That's a simple explanation of a complicated set of circumstances. But for most of the people, your deadline is not April 15th, it's April 18th this year. Good. So on the business side of things, Given the fact that we've been suffering through COVID from a couple of years, what are the main issues for 2021 that businesses need to know? Well, for 2021, you know, you still need to know about your qualified business income deduction, that you're structuring yourself so you can take that 20% deduction. If you're a pass-through entity, an S corporation, a partnership, or a sole proprietorship, you know, you've been entitled since 2018 to a 20% deduction of your income from subject to limitations uh, from, from your business. This was the way that Congress gave a break to people who are not corporations. Corporations got the reduction to 21% for their tax rate from 35%. This was for, for everybody else. So that's something that some people haven't been taking advantage of, and you need to make sure you are. Plus, there are ways to plan to maximize that deduction, and people should, you know, especially in the higher income, should look at, you know, how they can maximize that deduction uh, by, you know, possibly changing their organization from a partnership tax organization to an S corp, uh, paying salaries, uh, and, and the like. So. That's, that's the first thing is you need to make sure that you're taking your qualified business income deduction and that you and your CPA are focusing and have focused on that. It's by now should be a little bit of old news, but I, I'm st finding still that some entities and people are not taking advantage of that. You know, Marty, often businesses are preoccupied with their federal tax related obligations. What about state level? What's happening at state levels that people need to pay attention to? Well, basically, and we're going to come back to other federal items in a few minutes. So, you know, on, on, the, on the state level, 
we're looking at individuals, especially here, you know, you know, in, in the COVID or hopefully soon to be post-COVID era. And you're looking to, you know, people who changed their domicile. You know, they lived in a, you know, high tax state, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Montana moving to Wyoming, California moving to Nevada, uh, New York moving to Pennsylvania or Florida, you know, you, people moving from high tax states to low tax states. And some of these states are taking the, you know, there, there's a couple of things you have to look at. Have you changed your domicile? All right. And changing domicile does, doesn't just mean, oh, I, I'm renting an apartment down in another state. Changing a domicile means that you've taken the things you love and, and you've left, you've left one state and you've gone to another. And domicile is a legal, complicated concept. So one is you have to make sure that you've really changed your domicile. The second thing you need to be looking for is um, you know, don't spend more than 183 states, 183 days that you don't want to be taxed in, because if you spend more than 183 days, you are deemed a statutory resident and you get to pay income taxes to that state also. And the third thing you need to uh, be careful of is uh, some states, such as New York, uh, are very aggressive about you working out of a New York office from your home office in Florida, let's say. And they're going to say, wait a second, you're in that Florida office for your convenience. And, you know, you're really working out of the New York office. And that might be, have been true in my mind, you know, if you're commuting from New Jersey to New York or, or from Pennsylvania to New York and you're commuting every day and then two or days a week, you'd say, I'm going to work at home because I don't want to go to the office. But when you're working like from far away and you're working out of your home in Florida, you know, really, you don't have, and many people don't have a location in their New York office. They're just coming into a server. They couldn't walk in and work in that office anyway. And there's going to be a lot of litigation over this with New York State. And I'm in the middle of right now, literally, of four different examinations in New York uh, regarding this issue. And other, other states, uh, other of my partners are working in other states. So doing that at a more business level, corporate level, you know, you know, if you have employees in other states, you probably have an obligation to file income taxes in those states. You have nexus. If you have sales over a certain, uh, certain level as a result of a Supreme Court case, uh, Wayfair, a couple of years ago. So you really need to hire an expert in multi-state taxation, find out, is your business required to file in these states? And if so, you should file in those states. And there, there's you know, if it, it's going to be easier to file in those states up front than have to deal with the potential risks later with the state saying, hey, you didn't file in my state, you know, you, you need to file now. So you should get an expert. There are certain thresholds. Some states, it's $100,000 in sales, uh, that if you just sell more than 100000 in sales to a state, you're subject to their taxation. So you really need to get an expert hire them, let them do a consultation, let them tell you what you have to do. But certainly if you're having employees in other states, you really need to look at that issue. And a lot of people have remote employees working from all over the place. So what that may mean for somebody, let's say in Missoula, Montana, who has come here because their office in, in California is not allowing them to work there or told them they could work from home. And now they've been spending a year, more than 183 days in Montana, they could be subject to both California and Montana taxes. Well, possibly. I mean, yeah. and that's the thing. In other words, if they've really relocated to Montana, they're definitely Montana residents. Now, 
if the California office is open and functioning and they choose to live in Montana, you know, California is less aggressive about this issue than New York. There's kind of an East Coast, West Coast kind of thing about this home office issue. I think California would be good, but if you came from New York, they're going to be a little bit more aggressive. And a lot of this is to be seen because literally a month after some of the returns were filed for 2020, when people were you know, running from New York, they're auditing people already. They're saying, oh, you were a resident last year. You're not a resident this year. We want to audit you. And I would basically say that, you know, if, if you have those kinds of issues, you know, get your, you know, establish the home office, get your employer to reimburse you for some of the costs of the home office, get them to allow your home office to be on the website so that it's established as a legitimate office of the business. If it's established as a legitimate office of the business, you'll be okay. So Marty, the, uh, the dreaded question, what happens if you get audited? You get a letter from the IRS saying they're gonna audit you. What should you be your initial reaction? Well, your initial reaction is say, I've got to hire Marty Davidoff uh, to represent <laughs> me. But your initial reaction should be to go, uh, and it is to go to a professional, you know, who represents people before the IRS. The first reaction is to go to your CPA, and that's okay. And your CPA will look at it and he'll, he'll discuss it. But keep in mind, when you go, Arnie, when you go to your family physician, and he says, boy, you have a heart problem. Do you expect him to do the heart surgery? Right. No, of course you, not. You know, you know, you don't expect your, you, you expect to go to the heart surgeon. Well, America has this misconception that every CPA can represent you before the IRS because they prepare taxes. And I call it the family CPA. The family CPA is terrific at preparing taxes, making sure you're paying your estimated taxes, you know, making sure you're filing all the states you're filing for, taking care of you, making sure your books and records are okay. All right. And that's where audit preparation starts, that you have a good set of books and records. You know, I can't tell you how many small businesses have terrible books and records or no books and records, and the audits become a nightmare. But if you have good, good books and records, the audits become easy. Take that to the second step. So now you're being audited. You should be going to somebody work who will work with your CPA, who will be the heart surgeon, who will be the specialist who will represent you in an audit. So first of all, make sure you read the correspondence. Some correspondence are very narrow. They say, just send me your charitable contributions backup. And you can send that and you and your CPA can put that together. But if they're saying, we wanna order all your books and records, we wanna see your schedule C, we wanna look at this, you really should have somebody who does this for a living day in and day out because there are many people specialized. And, and you know, generally I would recommend an enrolled agent, a CPA or an attorney, any of those categories of people who specialize in this area and be responsive. And, 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 and yet don't, don't agree to anything that you don't believe is right. There are, you know, once you're audited, Arnie, there are, you know, appeal rights. And if you don't agree, take advantage of those appeal rights. Let's talk about an offshoot of this. What happens if you get a letter from the IRS that says you owe, we've reviewed your, your filing and you, we, we think we, you owe us $1,250. Okay. That's very good. That's something called, you've hit on something called the CP 2000. These are notices that come from the IRS and they're just labeled CP 2000 on the top, right? It doesn't, I don't know what it means, but you have a CP 2000 notice or any notice that says, you know, we've done a matching. These are generally done on matching notices. 
you know, we, 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 you didn't report this 1099. You didn't report this brokerage transaction. I'll tell you where it happens a lot in business. You know, you're, you've just gotten a stock award, uh, an option you converted into stock. They gave you the stock. They included the income on your W-2. You sell the stock for exactly your tax basis in it. So you got it for 10,000, you sold it for 10,000, but you didn't report it because you said, oh yeah, it's on my W-2. Well, now the IRS says you sold $10,000 of stock for zero, zero basis and you have a $10,000 gain. So what you needed to do is to have file your return showing the 10,000 sale and 10,000 cost basis because they stepped it up on your W-2 and show a zero net thing. And you'll get a notice like that. You'll get notices, you know, if you took withdrawals from your retirement plan that you, 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 you forgot. You'll get notices if you didn't report real estate that got reported in 1099S. Those matching notices, um, and, and I'll give you the flaw in this, you know, you respond to them. But at some point, if you don't respond quickly enough, or they don't agree with your responses, they're going to send you another notice. And that's called a notice of deficiency. That notice of deficiency says, this is your right to go to tax court. And many people just ignore that notice. But that notice is your ticket to getting a real person to listen to you. And if you file the tax court petition, and they make it very easy for, for you know, lay people to do, you file the tax court petition, they assign you to an appeals office, you get to talk to them over Zoom, all right, or in person you know, at some point, and you get to say, no, no, this is what happened here. You know? Now, the first step when you get those notes is go to your CPA and say, is the IRS correct? All right, he can tell you if they're correct or not because you know, that much he knows. When you need the representation going forward, then you go to one of those other professionals. But basically, many of these are very simple. They say, oh, yeah, this is a simple thing. You can write a letter, send it to them with your CPA, and explain. Or you look at it and say, yeah, they're right. I didn't report that $300 of interest income. As you take a look with your clients at their filings, are there common mistakes or issues that stand out the most to you? Um. Uh, Poor record keeping, uh, not reporting things on 1099s, the things that cause audits. Uh, those, those, are, those are the biggest things. And, and just, you know, not getting around to filing. You know, I see a lot of people, they, they, you know, they go from being an employee to their small business. They don't know how to do it. And that's where a good CPA, a good family CPA will help them. Uh, you know, and, and in this year, when you're looking for this year, a couple of things they should be looking for. You know, you can get a charitable deduction, quote, even if you don't itemize. So and it's up to 600 for a couple and 300 for an individual. There's still time to contribute to your IRA to reduce your tax burden. Uh, we already talked about the 20% qualified you know, business income. Now, here's interesting. If you're in your own business, you're a sole proprietorship, like an Uber driver or a DoorDash delivery person. For 2020 and 21, the the government's going to give you sick leave if you took time off due to COVID. So if you had to care for somebody, this is something that very few people know about. And, you know, it, it, and it, you know they passed a law that says we're go the government is going to pay up to $511 per day for up to 10 sick days that you lost because of COVID. And we're going to give you a credit of up to $200 a day if you took care of a family person for COVID-19. And this is something, it's a form 7202. Very few people are aware of this. And it's something that, you know, it, it, they're just giving money. And you can amend your 20 return if you didn't claim it. So it was available in 20 and most of 21. 
and and you know that's something. Did you know about that, Arnie? Were you no, aware of that? No idea. Yeah, and and so you know, so if you lost time due to COVID, because you know, let's say uh, COVID said you couldn't go into work, and you you know, and you could have had you know consulting income or something, or you could have been an Uber driver driving, and they said nobody's on the roads, whatever it is. If COVID causes, uh, the government is saying, you know, we're, we're going to give you, in effect, sick pay or a, a credit for family leave. And the other thing is, in, in this year, in 2000, and the form should lead you, in 2021, you get to deduct 100% of your business meals at restaurants, whereas it used to be 50%. Uh, and, and so now they're, you know, they're, you know, you, we, you know uh, uh, now, now you have that option. And again, that should, that should come in there. Well, that leads me to the follow-up question, Marty. Those are kind of new overlooked deductions. But in general, when you're working you know, with, with clients, what are the most overlooked uh, deductions that, uh, that people ought to know about? Well, you know, some of the states still allow miscellaneous itemized deductions. So the federal doesn't, but some of the states do allow them. So making sure that the difference between the federal and state law that you're taking care of that. Uh, credits, childcare credits. Uh, some you know people are not o- always ch- claiming all of their credits for childcare uh, flow throughs for flow throughs from partnerships. They may have some credits flowing through. They may not handle foreign tax credits. They may not handle one of the biggest overlooked deductions is not reporting foreign investment, foreign income, and foreign bank accounts. The penalties on that are tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes twenty five thousand dollars per incident. Not reporting an inheritance on a form 3520, not reporting investments, you know, by foreigners in the U.S. or by U.S. citizens abroad through forms 5471 and 5472, not filing your FBAR reporting with the 114 filing that you do online if you have a signature authority for a bank account overseas for more than $10,000. These omissions are very costly, and we see them often, that people are not filing them, maybe not filing them on time, and, and I, would, I would urge people to uh, you know, make, make sure that they, that they deal with this. I'm speaking with Marty Davidoff, attorney and accounting expert. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by Montana Rail Link, committed to safely delivering transportation solutions to their customers and partners. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. Many people have trouble with, personally and in the business, with paying estimated taxes. You know, so how do you advise clients to address that issue? Well, the first thing I advise them is don't pay anything with a check anymore to the Internal Revenue Service. You have three other three other options, and the states also. All right, you can pay online for all this, almost all the states. You can go online, set up an account, do that. You should. With the IRS, you can set up an account through something called the Electronic Federal Tax Payment System, which is www.eftps.gov www.eftps.gov. You go there, you register, they send you a PIN. You can make all of your balance due payments, all of your installment agreement payments, if you're doing an offer and compromise, and your estimated taxes. What I advise people to do is to pay their estimated taxes, you know, when it's, when it's good for them. 
if you don't have withholding, you pay your taxes through estimated taxes. One of the mistakes people make is they wait till the end of the year and they pay their balance due. Well, if you do that, you're going to be paying interest to the government at 4% for not having paid quarterly estimates on April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and the following January 15th. And uh, what I and some people say, well, those quarterly estimates really are, are tough for me. So I say, fine, pay monthly, pay weekly. I pay monthly right now. I go on EFTPS, I set up my payments, and I, I pay, pay every month. I used to pay weekly when I was in my own business because it was easier to have the smaller numbers every week just come out of my, come out of my bank account. I'd have 52 payments a year. Uh, so I would use EFTPS. You also have with the IRS, you can go online to their website and search for direct pay and just pay them. Uh, you don't need a credit card. It'll just be an ACH out of your, out of your account. If you want to pay a fee of 2.5%, you can, you, you can pay with a credit card. And finally, your CPAs and enrolled agents, whoever tax prepares your return, can make your payments of both balances due and estimates through their software. I like EFTPS because it's the best control. You can plan them in advance. Um, there are not as many limitations as there, are, as there are with direct pay or going through your software. And I really strongly encourage that people pay that way. In terms of how much you pay in your estimated taxes, you can base it based upon the prior year, or you can base it upon the current year. Generally, if people's incomes are going up, I tell them to base it on the prior year and set aside some extra money to pay when you're gonna have a balance due the next April 15th. If you pay based upon the prior year, whether it's 100% or 110%, depending on your income level, you will not have to pay that the penalty, which is the effect of the interest at the end of the year. So that's how I advise about electronic. And, and, and I still see, I, I give courses online um, with CPA Academy. And when I give courses, I survey my audience of tax practitioners. 30% of them are still telling their clients to mail a check with a Form 1040ES. And, and I, think it's, I, I think it's not a smart idea. Pay electronically. The IRS is not opening up all the mail or they're not getting to it timely. And then you mail a check and you know, you're saying, well, why don't they have my check? Well, duh, COVID-19 and being short-staffed. COVID payments were received by many, many businesses and individuals during this past year. How, mm -hmm. how is that treated tax-wise? Uh, the PPP loans uh, are, are, that are forgiven uh, are, are, are not taxable income. Uh, and the expenses related to them, and this required additional legislation, the expenses that they that used to pay them are deductible. So there's, there's, there's that very, very big benefit. Uh, but not every state, and I don't know which states have, but not every state has agreed with that interpretation. Some states say, yes, it's going to be tax-free, but they say the expenses you use from that, like for for uh, rent, for payroll, those expenses, we're not going to allow, and you're going to have to have, in effect, an add back between the federal and the state. So you have to understand what state you're in, understand those directions, but some states do not follow the federal treatment of that. So let, let's talk about the area of cryptocurrency, which is a you know, huge issue, and most people you know, don't understand it, and not that many people yet are dabbling in it. You know, should you be using it for your business? And what are the tax impacts of 
of cryptocurrency. Okay, so cryptocurrency is considered property. So every time you buy cryptocurrency, it's like buying a share of stock. And every time you sell cryptocurrency or use cryptocurrency, you're selling cryptocurrency and you have a transaction to report. So I strongly discourage people using it for their day-to-day business or personal expenses. Because if you're doing that, you're going to have hundreds or thousands of transactions. In addition to saying, okay, I bought my coffee around the corner, all right, and I have a deduction for entertainment, maybe because I had coffee with Arnie, all right, uh, you're going to have, in addition to that, you're going to have, I, I sold, you know, a hundredth of a, or a thousandth of a Bitcoin, all right, and I, I have, I bought that Bitcoin for this back seven months ago, and now I have this additional transaction to report this little tiny transaction. And there are, and, and if you're going to do that, please use, you know, tracking software, coin tracker is one of them. Many of the people that, you know, work in, in cryptocurrency, the brokers in cryptocurrency will help you do that. But even if you're trading, okay, if you're trading, make sure you have something, especially if you're going to be an active trader, make sure that you have uh, a, a software that's going to track your trading because otherwise your tax returns are going to get very complicated. But don't, you know, people say, well, I'm going to buy things and sell things in cryptocurrency. And I'm saying the more you do that, the more complex your tax return gets. And, you know, I would definitely not do that. Now, there is a question on the tax returns. Have you bought, sold, done anything in cryptocurrency? And you got to answer yes to that uh, if you've done any of that. Uh, and and uh, many people think they don't have to do that or they don't have to report. Well, they, they do. Hmm. Interesting. Now, the interesting thing, just mining and creating cryptocurrency is being tr- treated like you painted the work of art. So if you're, you know, if you've been, if you've been creating cryptocurrency, it's until you, you'll have a zero basis for it until you sell it. It's like creating a piece of art. I don't have to pay tax on the art because I created a valuable thing. I have to pay tax on it when I sell it. And this is all evolving because cryptocurrency is so new and, and there's a lot of legislation around how it should be handled and what role the SEC has in it. Yeah. All of that. Well, actually, there's been very little legislation on it. Um, they're about to pass some legislation or it's in the legislation that's been proposed where you're not where the wash sale rules for stocks that you well know are going to apply to cryptocurrency. They don't apply now. So at year end, you can do harvesting for losses. But it's been it's been you know regulation and some court you know the, the last thing about the mining has been a court case uh, where people are interpreting the law where people are a little bit in flux but not much legislation has gone on this uh, they're kind of letting the IRS regulate it uh, and and there has been some SEC you are correct there's been some SEC guidance you know is this property is it is it a security you know there's been some conversations about that which is also evolving retirement payments. Uh, retirement payments uh, for 2021, how are they treated? Uh, they, they're, they're generally, their income, you know, Social Security is, is, is limited as to what's taxable, maximum of 85% of it. But other retirement income is generally taxable unless it's, you know, from a non-taxable source like a, a Roth IRA, you know, the design of the Roth where those would come out tax-free. So again, on, on that Check with your accountant. Sometimes only a percentage is taxable because you contributed to it. 
Uh, so that gets complicated. And then the states even make it more complicated. Uh, for example, where I'm from in New Jersey, uh, you know, they didn't allow you know, exclusion of certain retirement contributions. So now when you get them, they're tax-free and you have to go through a whole computation, which is, you know, sometimes uh, uh, takes more time to do and money to pay your professional to do than it's worthwhile doing. And then what about retirement plan contributions that were required every year to maintain your status? How, how are they impacted by in 2021? Well, generally, uh, you know, and they're, they're generally the, you know, you can still deduct them. You can, I think they've allowed you to create certain plans after year end where they had to be created beforehand. Uh, there, there's been, there's still, I believe, you know, you can, you can make um, contributions to charity tax-free up to a hundred thousand dollars from a retirement plan. Again, you can't do it for 21. Now you'd have to do it for 22. Um, they've, they've increased the age where you're required to withdraw to 72 from 70 a couple of years ago. So really just, you know, on those issues, uh, they get complicated and to do, a, you know, on a general, general broadcast like this, gets pretty complicated to delve into it. Uh, uh, but check with your CPA when you're looking to you know, plan deductions, open retirement accounts, which kind of retirement accounts. And sometimes, you know, go to a retirement plan specialist along with your CPA and have a three-way conversation about what your options are. But generally, you know, for simple stuff like IRAs, you know, you put it in an IRA and when you take it out, it's taxable. So we're already into the late first quarter of 2022. You know, are there things that people should do, you know, now that are often overlooked to reduce their tax burdens? Well, they, they should consider, you know, uh, in investing in, you know, uh, you know, investments like real estate that, you know, uh, shelter your income. They have now these, you know, if you're going to have a gain on something, you know, how can you defer the gain through 1031 or they have these qualified opportunity zones that you can invest in and, and roll over some of your gains. So you can start looking into some of those things if you expect to have significant income, investing in capital in your businesses, can shelter some income, you know, buying, you know, capital equipment, you know, see how much the tax bill is going to be, is going to subsidize, you know, or the reduction of the tax bill can subsidize those investments. Uh, so tax planning, you know, uh, are you going to do retirement plans? Uh, and, and take a look at, you know, credits, you know, uh, you know, there are certain credits for certain kinds of investment in real estate or opportunity zones. And, you know, look, look, look into all those things and, and just, you know, read, read a business journal like, you know, Barron's the Wall Street Journal and look for opportunities, you know, that make you aware of things. Uh, and, and there are lots of publications uh, like uh, J.K. Lasser said, you know, are, are designed for lay people, you know, monthly publications on how you can save taxes and look at them. And then some of them are real and some of them are not, are not so real. Discuss them with your CPA, your tax advisor and say, OK, does this work? And if you need more specialized uh, uh, assistance, uh, you, can, you can get that. Marty, there were a lot of people who received unemployment compensation during 2020 and, and 2021. And there were some issues related to fraud. And there's some issues related to, uh, you know, receiving the documentation for the unemployment. I think it's a 1099G. What should people know about that whole issue? Well, what they should know about that whole issue in 2021, you know, all of your unemployment income is taxable, whereas in 2020, 
you know, there was an exclusion at the last minute put in for not taxing $10,200 per person. But the second thing is some people are getting 1099 Gs when they didn't get any unemployment income. And they're thinking, do, do I have to report that income? And the answer is, no, you don't have to report that income. You need to go to the agency and you need to tell them, hey, this is a fraud. I didn't get this. And uh, eventually they will correct the 1099 and ask them to correct the 1099 G to be zero. Eventually they will. The IRS will match it up and that'll be that. But if your identity has been stolen for purposes of the 1099, it may have been stolen for purpose for other purposes. So you should probably go to the IRS and get a pin so that somebody can't file a return under your name and claim a refund uh, for a false W-2. So what, what we're suggesting people, if they got that 1099-G that for income they didn't ever receive, that they also go to the IRS and ask them for a, an identity pin, it's called an I-PIN, and that they go online and they and they get that I-PIN. So that's, that's very important. So call an IP pin, it's an IRS identity protection pin, and you can go to www.irs.gov to do that. Marty, you've been involved in a lot of interesting cases during your career with tax and IRS you know, controversy. Um, is there anyone you can share with us? I'm obviously protecting the anonymity of the, of the client. Is there a case that particularly stands out to you that was, that was interesting or unusual? Oh my God, there's so many to choose from. Well, I had, I had, um, uh, we had a case recently where uh, there was withholding of $1.4 million uh, on a trust. And because the trust had, didn't have uh, the correct, didn't have an ID number and it was a foreign trust, it took us two years to eventually get the $1.4 million back. And we had to, you know, get an, a, a, an EIN assigned to a foreign trust, which is no simple matter, get involved with the tax fair advocate and to get that refund. But probably some of the most satisfying items are, you know, when we're able to get penalty abatements for people when, you know, they've had unfortunate situations in their life and we're able to get literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of penalty abatement. Or we have somebody who we've been able to, you know, who, you know, has, you know, the IRS, uh, you know, send one of these CP2000s that were erroneous. I have one case where I had somebody had a CP2000, an 80-year-old woman for $275,000 and the IRS was ready to levy. This was from stock sales that never got reported on brokerage accounts, millions and millions of stock sales that were actually lost transactions. And when we dug into it, we looked two years back and saw the IRS had already taken out of this woman's account and she didn't even know it half a million dollars. So not only were we able to prevent the 275,000, but we say we actually did a full accounting of all the stocks with the CPA. He prepared a full accounting. We got the full accounting of the IRS. And eventually not only did they not you know, reverse the balance owed for the current year, we were able to get refunds on the two prior years that were still open years and got a half a million dollars. So we had a client go from owing 275,000 to getting back half a million dollars because we had the ability to look at the detail and the attention detail, and we were able to grab the you know brokerage accounts. M many people would not have even looked back to those other two years because they were closed years. You know the IRS wasn't doing. It. And we said, well, let's look back and see what's there. And we found out that literally about 21 months earlier they had taken this money. And if we had waited another three months, that half a million dollars would have been lost because you have a two years to claim it. You know for for money that was paid to the IRS. So. Those kinds of things are very satisfying. That, that, that's really a very interesting case. 
So one of the side effects of the COVID pandemic has been the great resignation, which is referred to lots of people leaving their jobs mm -hmm. and either becoming contract employees or consultants or starting their own, you know, sole practitioner businesses. What do they need to know about doing that? Well, they, they simply need to know that they should get, you know, uh, get a tax advisor and they should, you know, set up their, you get a lawyer and a tax advisor, set up your entity, you know, hire, if you're going to have, have a business, hire employees properly and, and, you know, pay your estimated taxes, set aside, I tell people set aside 35% of your money for state and federal taxes right from the beginning. So you don't, don't have, you don't say, oh, I don't have the money. And, you know, it's interesting in the great resignation, what our firm is finding we're finding less of people going forming their own entities, more of they're being poached by other other companies, you know. And then, you know, we're we're getting new people all the time too. So, you know, we're poaching, they're poaching. People are, you know, just unhappy with wherever they are, and and people are bidding up their salaries. And we, we see that happening all the time. And you know, we have a great place, so we're we're we think we're holding our own uh, in our company. But it, it is a problem out there that we see, you know just going to other companies because good talent is hard to find. You brought up something that I want to uh, go back to. What happens if you are asked to pay and it, the IRS and it's a legitimate request and you don't have the money? Well, I'm glad you asked that because, you know, the first thing you have to do is don't ignore the notices. The IRS will work with you on an installment plan, and in terms of what you do, the first monies that you have when you have monies available should go to pay the current year estimates because the IRS will not work with you if you're not current on your estimates. So the first thing is pay your current year estimates, all right? Then work with the past. I always tell people, you know, there, there are five things to do uh, when you are dealing with the IRS and you owe money. One is to keep current. Two is to make financial disclosure to them if, you know, if it's in most situations. Three is to keep current. Four is to give the IRS a plan. And five is to keep current. That's how important keeping current is. And generally, you're going to need to do financial disclosure if you're not going to be able to fully pay your tax or if you owe over $100,000. Generally, they're going to require you to make financial disclosure. Under $100,000, if you can full pay your tax, they'll generally do a six-year installment agreement you can call the phone, you can go online for an online payment agreement, but people shouldn't panic and, and start freezing and not filing, you know, and, and if you have a return ready to file and you say, I owe money, I shouldn't file it. No, file it because if you don't file it, you're going to get a 5% per money month late filing penalty up to 25%. And that's that, that you shouldn't do. So file your returns or at least get an extension and file it six months later, but file your returns. Don't be late on filing your returns. It's been reported that the IRS is understaffed, overwhelmed, you know, backed up. You know, what does that really mean for the you know, average uh, person, uh, you know, who has an interaction or is, is complying with IRS requirements? What it means to, to the average person is that you can't you, you, you it's difficult to deal with the IRS on problems because you can't reach them. You know, they're only answering 11% of the calls. And why can't you not reach them? Because Congress has not given the IRS sufficient funds. Even though they got an increase this year, they've been decimated over the past, you know, 12 years. Their, their workforce is down 30, 40%, and they're asked to do more and more. They sent out trillions of dollars of checks 
They did it, the IRS. It wasn't another agency. There wasn't the check writing agency. It was the IRS who sent these checks you know, for people during COVID. And, and Congress has to give them more money. Congress also has to allow them to plan on a multi-year basis for technology and hiring and, and, and improving systems. Uh, the annual budget cycle doesn't work for that kind of thing. So uh, what it means for the average taxpayer is your government is, not, is, is letting you down and not, not being effective. And it's, it all falls with Congress. Lastly, as, as you get to prepare your taxes for 2021, what are the most important things you need to remember? Uh, you need to remember to uh, gather your records, uh, re- you know, f- make sure you have everything, all of your income, uh, use a professional in most cases. I think you should be using a professional. File on time or get an extension to file. An extension is a, an extension of time to file, not time to pay. So make sure you're paying, make sure you're paying your estimates. Uh, and, and really just t- you know, do it like any other obligation of life, take it seriously and, and go through it. It is your, for most people, they're, certainly most successful people, their number one expenditure in life. So take it seriously. Marty, thank you for joining me today. You're a treasure trove of helpful and important information. Thank you. Great to be here. I appreciate your listening to Can Do, produced by Lena Beck in association with Montana Public Radio. For comments, recommendations for future guests, or general information, please go to mtpr.org. There you'll find previous guest contact information and content from all our shows. Listen next time when we'll discuss commercial real estate expectations with real estate advisor Claire Matten. I'm Arnie Sherman, wishing you good health and prosperity.